Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. Our program is supported by your gifts, but it's brought to you out of the heart of two ministries. One is Church Partnership Evangelism, where I've been the executive director for over 30 years. We're a disciple-making ministry among the nations. To learn more about us, go to traincpe.org. The other ministry is the ministry of Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, where I'm the Bible teacher. And this is the word that we feed on. We're in 2 Kings chapter 2, where Elijah is taken up at the end of his life in a whirlwind. And we'll begin today by briefly considering what the whirlwind itself reveals to us about what lies ahead for every human being. What is in the whirlwind? Well, I'm going to encourage you to take your Bibles. I'm going to take you some different passages here, and I want you to look at them for a moment. We have this wonderful account of Elijah being taken up in a whirlwind and by chariots into the presence of God. In the Old Testament, on numerous occasions, a swirling tempest storm or cloud is referred to, and oftentimes it is associated with the manifestation of God's presence. When God makes himself known and when he comes near to people at different times, he reveals himself in this kind of stormy moment. You might remember when Israel was escaping from Egypt that God went before them in a pillar of fire and also at night in the daytime he was over them in a cloud over their heads revealing himself to them. And that when God came on Mount Sinai to bring the law to the people of Israel, he came down upon that mountain in a storm, a fiery storm upon that mountain. In Job chapter 38, God speaks to Job at the end of all of Job's complaints for all the suffering and misery he's going through. And the Bible says that when God spoke to Job, that he spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. All of a sudden, a great storm came upon the place, and God revealed himself and spoke to him. The whirlwind and the chariot are also referred to as expressions of God's terrifying presence bringing judgment. Isaiah 66 verse 15 says this, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. God's manifest presence in the storm bringing judgment. Jeremiah 4 verses 13 and 14 say this. 13 is the key passage. Jeremiah writes, Behold, he shall come up as clouds and his chariots shall be as a whirlwind and his horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are spoiled. And then Jeremiah adds, O Jerusalem, wash your hearts from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your vain thoughts lodge within you? Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel chapter one that he had visions of God, and the vision that he first presents to us is a picture of a storm that comes upon the landscape, a great tempest that comes to him, and in the midst of the storm is burning, roiling fires spinning around. And then out of the fire, Ezekiel says that he saw coming out of the clouds four angels, cherubim, with four wings flying about. And these angels, he reveals to us, are sitting on this strange form or mode of transportation, a chariot that has wheels within wheels, and they move about as the Spirit of God directs the chariots. It's a picture of God coming in all his might and his holy power and angels proceeding out of God's presence and angels being directed in fiery chariots, you might say, at God's command. And Isaiah had a vision of those same angels, cherubim, in Isaiah chapter 6. And they're before the throne of God and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And John had the same vision in the book of Revelation 
of these angels before the presence of the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb of God in heaven. And so we have these pictures and we have these images that are brought for us in Scripture. I just want you to note what we've said here. This cloud, this tempest, represents the presence of God, the whirlwind of God. This cloud also forms and it gives expression to God in judgment. And we have angels that come out of that cloud and are on chariots and they're arriving in these moments of judgment as well. Actually, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 speaks of the day when the Lord Jesus will return. And it says that the Lord Jesus will return to bring judgment on the earth with his angels in flaming fire, that is, in a storm cloud of fire. And they'll come to render God's judgment upon the earth. The Lord Jesus actually spoke of that moment in time. Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 24. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Again, the cloud and tempest of God's presence, that presence bringing great judgment upon the earth, the angels arriving out of that cloud to minister that judgment in chariots of fire, In Matthew 24, verses 30 and 31, the Lord Jesus says this, speaking of a moment in future time when he shall return, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. There's the whirlwind with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Now, if you look at that passage and you read it, it really is a passage where Christ is speaking about a time of judgment that's going to come upon the earth. But the interesting thing in the text is that all of a sudden the Lord Jesus turns from expressions of simple judgment and says that these angels will be carrying out a ministry of rescue and that they're going to gather together to God the elect or those who God has chosen for salvation unto himself in the last days at the end of the earth. Again, let's go through this again. Let's kind of walk our way through what I've just shared with you briefly. I'm trying to set up some things for you to see here. You have the whirlwind of God's presence, ministering judgment upon the wicked, attended by angels coming in stormy clouds of chariots, but you also have these angels carrying on a ministry of rescue to the elect of God and bringing them into God's presence. Out of the same whirlwind comes judgment and rescue. You see that? Judgment and rescue. Luke chapter 16, the Lord Jesus tells the story of a beggar by the name of Lazarus. And Lazarus is one of these chosen elect ones of God, have been chosen or elect unto salvation. Lazarus dies, a poor outcast from society, but God has not cast him out. And Jesus says when Lazarus dies that the angels came and carried him away to a place of rest. Just one individual, one beggar, being brought away and taken away to a place of rest. In Matthew 24, these same angels go out at the end of the age to gather all the elect that are living on the earth at the time when Jesus Christ comes to bring them and gather them up to a place and to heaven to be with the Lord. And in 2 Kings, we've just read now that God draws up again just one individual, Elijah, this great prophet, to be in God's presence. And the whirlwind comes to take Elijah away. The whirlwind comes to take Lazarus, the beggar. The whirlwind comes to take... Elijah, the prophet, at the end of the age, the whirlwind comes, angels will arrive, take all the elect that are still on the earth. It kind of leads me to kind of a thought or a conclusion that we might consider here. Something to put in your mind, at least. I think it's likely that at the death of every believer, 
angels are attending, that they're coming to transport our souls home to be in the presence of the Father, that death is always attended by the wonder of the whirlwind. And for some, that whirlwind will take them away into judgment and sweep individuals away into a place of outer darkness. But for others, the whirlwind of God will be a whirlwind of rescue in which God will take them like Elijah to be with himself in heaven. Here's God's promise. For those who have placed their hope and their faith in Jesus Christ, that the whirlwind that comes for us will bring us into eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're waiting for His coming and we're waiting for Him to receive us and retrieve us to Himself and to a side. The gift of life is ours in the receiving of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The moment we repent and we turn and we believe in Him, we have been given a seal of the Holy Spirit and the promise the day is coming when He will retrieve us to Himself. Jesus said to us and those who believe in Him, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. And if I go, I'll come again, right? He's coming again for us. For Elijah, this whirlwind is a glorious and wonderful experience. For others, it will be something terrible. Let's make sure we're ready to meet the whirlwind. I say that by way of introduction. As Elijah goes into and meets this whirlwind and comes to the end of his earthly ministry and earthly life, we have this tremendous expression of a eulogy that takes place now by Elisha. And what I want to focus on for the rest of the morning is just this eulogy that Elisha gives to Elijah at this very moment. And he makes it in just a very short phrase. He says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And so I have three points for you, two of them drawn from the statement. And the first one is this. Here is what Elisha is saying. Elijah was my spiritual father. My father, my father. Elijah had taught Elisha by the word of God and he had taught Elisha by the example as he lived out that word of God. He was a man who didn't condition his comments to the crowds around him in order to make himself more appealing or to curry their favor. He spoke and lived as plainly as he dressed. He was what he was in every situation. There was a consistency in his life. He lived what he taught that God should be God over our lives. I'm particularly grateful, and I'll mention a few times now from my own experience, my father during this message, but I'm particularly grateful for the father I had. I attended church all of my life, went to all the services, had to go to all the services, never could watch Disney World, you know, the wonderful world of Disney that was on Sunday night. We had Sunday evening services, so you had to go to church instead. I thought that was a ploy of the devil. For some reason, he inspired people to put the wonderful world of Disney during the Sunday evening service, so I never got to watch it. Listen to my dad preach and teach all those years, would move from that place where we were together to our homes, and there was never a line, there was never bifurcation between what he spoke and how he conducted himself and the manner of his life before individuals when he was in the pulpit or when he was ministering to people in the pew or when they came and visited us in our home and what he was to us when they were gone and not there. It was consistent, it was genuine. To be consistent was to be just living out the truth of what God was teaching and revealing and living your life out together with one another. And this is the kind of life that Elijah lived. And so he was a pastor and he was a shepherd to Elisha, but he was a spiritual father as well. He taught and he instructed. And when my father became a follower of Jesus Christ, he was 
thrown out of his home for putting his faith in Christ because he led his sister to Christ as well, and that was just a little bit too much for his family. It was one thing for him to become a Jesus freak. It was another thing for him to start turning everybody else in the family to Jesus freak. So you got to move on. And so he didn't have any money. He just had a little bit of money, and he had just enough money to get a bus to Chicago from where he lived in Florida, and he took the bus to Chicago because he wanted to go to a Bible college there. And he had forgotten in the midst of the trauma of all this that this school had actually refused to receive him because he didn't have any references for himself. So he arrived at this school, Moody Bible Institute, to attend there, never really having been a part of any kind of church life or Christian family, and not having a pastor to reference. And the first pastor they had was a man by the name of A.W. Tozer. If you don't know who he is, Google him when you go home. If you don't know who he is, get some of his books and start with The Pursuit of God one of the great authors of the last century. And he became my father's first great spiritual mentor and tutor, leading and guiding him. And as I grew up, I heard stories of him and other men that influenced my father, Harold Freely, and how my father would talk about the way they shaped his life and guided him, and how God was so good to give him such great teachers. You know, when I was in high school, I thought, I want to find somebody like that. I went off to Bible college, and I was looking for a mentor, someone who could speak into me deep, profound spiritual truths and help me as I grew. And I spent a year trying to identify that individual, and I couldn't find him. And at the end of that school year, I realized that my father was that person. And I went home, and I didn't go back to that college. I went to Boise State University instead so that I could be with him. And I encourage you to find someone who can be a spiritual father or spiritual mother to you and mentor you in the things of God. This has been the Bread of Life. To learn more about us, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.